You're listening to Tech Talk Central. This is Tech Talk Central, and I'll be interviewing Gerald Hultot. I hope I pronounced it uh, correctly. I think it's of French origin, but he will just explain now um, his position for the European uh, Commission. Uh, welcome, Gerald. Hello, everyone. So please uh, tell us about you, your position, uh, what you do, uh, your office, and uh, your relevancy with eHealth, please. Yes, my name is Gérald Culto. It is indeed of French origin, and I work in European Commission, in DigiConnect, um, in the unit for health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And my position is policy officer uh, in the unit. So I manage most of the projects related to e-health interoperability. And this is my duty uh, at European Commission. Okay. So you just said that actually Europe does have an interoperability framework since you're working for it. But um, especially for e-health, um, can you give us a little bit of insights on what the level of compliance of member states is to the European interoperability framework? Yes, um, if we go back maybe a little bit on, in history about what is the European interoperability framework, uh, mm-hmm. this was uh, a, com- a commission uh, communication uh, which was uh, published in 2010. And the idea was to ask member states to take into account um, this European interoperability framework when they were making decisions on European public services. Uh, following this publication in 2010, in our unit, we have started to work on a specific European interoperability framework, uh, and we published a first inception of the eHealth interoperability framework in 2013. So that was really the first step uh, for this uh, interoperability framework. We are lucky enough that uh, in 2015, actually two weeks ago, uh, that a refined eHealth European Interactive Framework was proposed to the eHealth Network for endorsement, and uh, they have recommended uh, the use of the eHealth uh, Interactive Framework for member states at European national and regional purposes. So it's really a good news uh, for interoperability because uh, it's a recommendation, so it's not an obligation, but at least this gives a signal uh, to all the stakeholders involved in uh, interoperability. So that's a really important sign given by the EF network uh, on the 23rd of November. And we intend to work on this and to, to use this refined e-health integrity framework in the coming weeks and months and try to promote it as well at European level. So that's a very good news uh, for, this, um, for this document. Yes, I, I, I think you've got it up. up uh, it's online, if I'm not mistaken, and I think I saw it somewhere the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. So um, let's go a little bit to the market and e-health companies. European e-health companies have a huge potential to grow by approaching uh, markets that are growing much faster or the same as the European Union, inside and outside, in addition to the obvious potential for innovation a wide range of health patient care sectors. Markets such as those of the US, Latin America and China have become more reachable um, due to the existing and upcoming upcoming agreements like the TTIP and, and so on. What kind of barriers and impediments, uh, such as becoming embedded in other global regions, health ecosystems, will European e-health companies have to overcome in order to reach and be competitive in those markets effectively? 
Yes, we we are working um, with um, the the US in particular uh, through what we call the the EUS roadmap. So we had a memorandum of understanding with the US, which was signed in 2010. And this provides maybe a good example of the kind of support that we are trying to, to provide to companies and organizations in reaching um, global markets. So if we, we focus on that uh, particular aspect, uh, I can tell you that uh, during the last three years, uh, we have worked on a roadmap uh, and to focus on the, the challenges that we face in terms of interoperability, uh, in terms of workforce IT skills. So these were two main um, aspects of the roadmap. And then we are in the process to develop a new version of the roadmap, which is really focused on what we call innovation hubs. And we aim at develop um, um, the relationship between industry in Europe and the US to implement ES and MF solutions in uh, each other's market. So that's a new work stream we are working on. And this is in its infant stage, um, but this will be largely driven bottom-up by companies and healthcare providers on both sides of the Atlantic. In terms of barriers and challenges, actually this is the purpose of this roadmap to identify uh, these impediments and obstacles. So the, the first uh, work that will be um, performed by this uh, innovation hub is actually to identify the kind of barriers and challenges they are facing in order to, to, to have um, uh, opened the market. So that's something we're working on. And I think we should have a public consultation on this new work stream in the coming weeks. And most probably, um, the work will start beginning of next year and the industry will itself on both sides of the Atlantic identify this these uh, obstacles and they will report back to us and to let us know how we can improve on both sides of the Atlantic uh, to, to remove some of these barriers. So it's an ongoing work, uh, but we expect the industry to really uh, make the move on, on, on these aspects. Are you doing something similar with China or Latin America? We have um, our mission in China, so European Commission is based there. We know that industry also has some contact uh, in China, and this is a huge future market, and uh, we are starting to have discussions with, uh, with China, uh, but it's not so advanced today, but we are actually looking also at the Chinese market because it is extremely promising. Um, and, and we know that uh, China uh, intends to invest a huge amount of their budget in healthcare and also for the active and healthy aging aspects of, of healthcare. And indeed, that's something we are looking at, uh, but we don't have a specific work program in our unit on this aspect, but that's something we are closely looking at as well, yes. Okay, so to move on to our last question, because I understand you're a busy uh, man, um, let's go into medical software certification. Um, I know I don't know if you've heard about it, but to be honest, I know it's been downloaded. There was a recent Imperial College of London study that showed that a number of NHS approved applications, while sending out data to associated services, 33% of them are doing so without encrypting the data. To be honest, um, uh, a recent interviewee uh, told me that it has been uh, downloaded from the website. But in general, um, things like these are a security threat, invoking identity theft, plus privacy issues, and so on. 
Does the EU need a medical software certification strategy? And if so, who should implement and enforce it, according to you? Okay, um, that's a very uh, interesting question, and we are actually very focused in our unit on mHealth in particular, so that's a very relevant question. Um, today, at European Commission level, we have the current EU policies such as the cybersecurity strategy for the EU and the proposal for the Directive on Network and Information uh, Security. And the aim is to protect and to secure networks and information systems, uh, including critical infrastructure. So that's a, a real important topic, uh, which is about healthcare system security. If we talk about our unit, what we specifically do is linked to um, a code of conduct that we are all, uh, we have uh, actually published uh, two days ago, so on the 30th of November. And the idea uh, that this code of conduct, which is industry-led, uh, was facilitated by European Commission, and it's basically a privacy code of conduct on mobile health apps with specific sections focusing on security. So in particular, we would like, for example, app developers uh, ensure the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of personal data uh, processed by their apps. So indeed, effective encryption of health data is one of the requirements set out in the code of conduct, and the app uh, developers are encouraged to comply with it. And that's um, a code of conduct that was published, as I said, on the 30th of November. And we will have a meeting next week on the 7th of December uh, where we present this code of conduct to, to stakeholders uh, in Brussels. And then this code of conduct will be open for, uh, common, um, uh, for uh, consultation for, I would say, maybe a couple of weeks or more. And we would expect to have some feedback uh, from the stakeholders about what they think of this code of conduct. So that's indeed a topic we are addressing now in this code of conduct. And we, we, we have some proposals that send this code of conduct. And um, this will be further discussed, um, I think, in the coming weeks. So that's a, a very trendy and, and, uh, uh, point uh, about security of ML hats. And um, we are looking at it very closely. Um, I think I will agree, and we must include the link um, to the, uh, what you've published. Um, actually, as many interviewees as I asked the same question, I got as many different answers. So it seems that it worries a lot of people. There was different aspects to it about who should mm -hmm. we be assessing. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a, a, an interesting conversation is going to be opening up on wellness and fitness applications and medical devices and um, mm -hmm. so yeah there's a lot of prospect there and it's good that there's uh, an open conversation on it so first of all thank you for being with us uh, Gerald thank you for inviting so this was Tech Talk, Vicky Kolovu for Tech Talk Central and uh, we just heard Gerald Kultot I'm not sure I've got the pronunciation research program officer at DG Connect Thank you for listening to us. Goodbye. You're listening to Tech Talk Central.